Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Ruben Ava, Jesse Romero, two man car. We are 10 8 for Jesus. Good morning, Jesse. How are you doing today? I am bl- too blessed to be stressed, Ruben, and uh, good to be here. We are 10 8 for Jesus. That's right. That's right. We, we've got uh, a good article we're going to go over, Jess. Uh, the World yeah. Health Organization. <laughs> Ruben, you know, when I read this article and other art- articles like it, to me, it seems, in my opinion, this this could be the machinations of the Antichrist. And this also sets up for the reign of the Antichrist. Mm. I mean, all you have to do is like read paragraph 675, even in Vatican II, something, a re- recent document on the, on the Antichrist, 675, 676, 677. And th- one of the things that has to happen, Ruben, is there has to be uh, just, nationalism has to be thrown out the window and we need a one world government which sets up the reign of the Antichrist. Mm. Yep, we're living in those times, Jess. Yep, not to, it's not in the future, it's not in the past, it's right now. Let's jump right on it, Ruben, because there's a lot to talk about uh, for this segment. Mm-hmm. It's called, The World Health Organization is a One World Government. Mm-hmm. Did you know the World Health Organization is literally literally set up to operate as a One World Government? Did you know that when the World Health Organization declares the pandemic... The laws of all the nations are nullified and the entire world is submitted to the so-called constitution of the World Health Organization. (laughs) That's so dangerous right there. Did you know that the World Health Organization can at any time declare a pandemic based on any fraudulent diagnostic tool like we've just seen the last two and a half years? Did you know the World Health Organization declared the pandemic based on on the severely flawed PCR test, which produces up to 94% of false positives? Go ahead, Ruben. No, they spiked the numbers. That's why. God. Did you know that all the nations of the world are bound to unquestioning submission to whatever guidelines the WHO, World Health Organization, issues? Did you know the World Health Organization is owned and controlled by private individuals who are not dem- democratically elected by anyone? That's the. This is a scare. What you just shared right there, that's real scary right there. In other words, it's it's. This is basically the rich and famous club. This is the oligarchs, and we didn't vote them in, Ruben. Right. And these people are trying to say who can live, who can die, when to stick yourself in the arm. Uh, you know, shut down the cities, uh, you know, six feet apart. This is dangerous. Mm. Did you know this makes the World Health Organization effectively a private entity that rules the entire world outside of any form of democracy? Mm-hmm. Did you know the entire health system of our world is owned by financial oligarchs who use it to dominate all of humanity? So Wow. Wow. Some experts from the WHO and the United Nations, they, they warn humanity. And uh, doctors. They've, re- they've red pilled these doctors here. Yes, Dr. Sylvia Berent and, um, and Dr. Astrid Stuckelberger held leading positions in the WHO and the UN. 
the United Nations, they reveal how the, the WHO has strategically, strategically infiltrated all the nations of the world with the purpose of abolishing democracy and imposing its own tyranny on all humanity. Now, this isn't Ruben and me saying this. This isn't, this isn't some Catholics saying this. These are former doctors that work for the UN, World Health Organization, probably former leftists, probably liberals, uh, but they have common sense. And, and they, they saw too much. They had to leave these positions. And now they're telling the world what's going on. That last sentence, Ruben, this says everything. That last sentence you read. They reveal, these two doctors, how the World Health Organization has strategically infiltrated all the nations of the world with the purpose of abolishing democracy. There it is. Mm-hmm. And imposing its own tyranny on all humanity. This is exactly what we've seen, what we've experienced. The pro- Here's the problem, Ruben. Not everybody's going to fight back. You have a lot of sheeple. Yeah. You have a lot of people that are going to say, hey, the, put on that mask. You know, the, the, the government wants you to put on that mask. Hey, six feet apart. Ruben, even now, Still, um, yeah. you know, I go to the airport. I came back from Hawaii. Uh, you know, went to, went to Texas. In Hawaii, I tell you that... At least about a third of the people there are masked up in the state of Hawaii, walking around with a mask, and bicycles, the homeless people with a mask. Uh, in, in the airports, you, you know, you'll find probably you know about twenty percent of people with a mask. There are just some people, Ruben, mm-hmm. that are, have been so psyoped, so so yeah. you know psychologically operated by by uh, by our government that uh, I think they're going to wear their mask until they drop dead. Yeah, just. And I think, you know, um, I remember not too long ago, actually, uh, where this this was on some like Fox News and Newsmax that that Biden had signed over, you know, it, oh, basically right. the, the, the our nation to, right. to the who. So because I remember hearing them saying that if they declare a pandemic, you know, we have to abide by it, you know, so. That's scary, and and that's another reason why they they want Trump out because he he's he's not going to stand for this, you know. <laughs> or yeah, Ruben. So it's already happened. You're absolutely right. I mean, we could I'll I'll, put, well, I'll just go to the internet and grab an article. But you're right, Joe Biden. This this did make news across the left and the right that he did sign off the, some type of an uh, you know law or decree or order where the United Nations is going to call the shots even here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Wow, you so, just reminded me. Of I mean, that. you know, and then you know, you on the other hand, you have the W E World Economic Forum W F W E F, not the W T H. No, W T H. You know, or anyway, whatever they that they're is, both e- they're both evil organizations. Schwab, Schwab, yeah, Klaus yeah, Schwab is <laughs> is running that. But these they're all working together. This is yes. they're all globalists. So yes, so. Go ahead, Jess. Ruben, let's, let me define a globalist for the eye. A, a globalist, is, I guess, globalist sets up for the reign of the Antichrist. The Antichrist uh, needs to come in where there's a one-world government, one-world bank, uh, one-world monetary system, open borders. Uh, the, the education is totally controlled uh, by the left. Uh, they, they control big tech. They control the media. Uh, that sets up the reign for the Antichrist. The article says, the nations of the world are bound to unquestioning obedience, that's what we just said, to whatever the World Health Organization says, effectively making it a one-world government, operating entirely outside of national constitutions, 
and any kind of democracy. Wow, this is what's called communism. Just, just, just give, I mean, just give, let's give it a name. All this is done under the guise of healthcare. International health regulations, referred to as IHR, were created in order to pave the way for this worldwide tyranny. All they need to submit the world to their fingertips. All they need to submit the world to their fingertips of control is a method to declare a public health emergency of international concern, which can easily be done with any fraudulent test. Mm. Dr. Bertrand, a Berend, one of the ladies that uh, red-pilled and left the UN and the World Health Organization, and she's now a whistleblower, she reveals how there was no COVID pandemic until a flawed PCR test was introduced that suddenly increased the so-called cases 14-fold. This PCR test can, however, not detect any kind of infection or illness. It is pure fraud. The, whistle, the World Health Organization whistleblowers also expose how this totalitarian worldwide health system is entirely composed by private corporations and individuals who use their astronomical wealth to impose tyranny on humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ruben, there's a picture there of uh, Bill Gates, who's this guy's got his fingers in everything that's evil in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always have to say that Bill Gates and George Soros are probably the most powerful non-politicians in the world. Yeah, he's this guy's evil. And uh, it, it, there's, it, it, yeah, along with this picture, it goes on to say that, for example, in 2012 at the W, the World Health Assembly, Bill Gates was declared as the leader of the global vaccine plan 2012 to 2020, although he has no medical qualifications whatsoever. And according to his own words, is into vaccines because of the astronomical monetary gains. And Gates's fortune exploded to over a, a $100 billion U.S. dollars thanks to dealing vaccines. And and he's another one of these globalists that that wants population control. He's gone on, you know, um, TED talks. He's talked about that we need to, you know, control the population because of, uh, you know, climate change and all that. And so, why don't these guys? Why don't they volunteer to die? You know, I, I don't understand why they want all of us to die. Come on, man. They, <laughs> Stand in line and, and roll up your sleeve, right? If you yeah. think there's so many people in the world, why don't you know go ahead and. Uh, and then uh, make make good on on, on your promise yeah. and, and 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 lead by example. Yeah, Gates has also the, become the main donor of the de- of the World Health Organization, yes. effectively controlling it. This means the entire world is literally ruled by Bill Gates. And we've talked about him on the past, Joshua, where some of the vaccines that he he put together, like in in Africa, and and they they were you know sterilizing women and 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 killing all kinds of people with his the stuff that he was putting out there. Yeah, I know he's not allowed in some of these third world countries where he's experimented with his vaccines. I forget you, you can you can get, grab a list if you go on the internet. But yeah, he's actually uh, uh, you know his visa has been yanked in several countries where he's experimented with the vaccination on, on obviously you know poor people. Uh, the article says, Ruben, what these whistleblowers from the World Health Organization and the United Nations expose is that private entities have created a worldwide system that allows them to use the excuse of health emergencies of international concern to rob humanity of all rights and freedoms and implement a totalitarian regime. Bingo. Meanwhile, they're making trillions of dollars. Jesus 911, two-man car, talking about the World Health Organization. Stick around. we got more to say about this topic. Uh, You don't want to miss what's up next. 
Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back talking about the World Health Organization, and what we're looking and quoting from is uh, the website, if you want to look at it yourself, it's stopworldcontrol.com, stopworldcontrol.com. Ruben, let me mention a couple things about Bill Gates. He's a major funder of the World Health Organization. He's given about a, at least $105 million to combat the <clears throat> coronavirus. He's also given a total of $327 million uh, to the World Health Organization. Uh, Dr. Fauci, who is the medical dictator, he's part of the Leadership Council, which is comprised of other leftist doctors on its board. And uh, Bill Gates... I don't know if people don't know, uh, Bill Gates, he's uh, he's basically following in the footsteps of his father. His father was a eugenicist who was one of the pioneers of Planned Parenthood. And so, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates, they've also announced at a recent global family planning summit that they will give $375 million to control population over the next four years. That's that's a 60%, that's 60% of what the couple has given in the past for global abortion and contraception. Mm. You know, Bill and Melinda Gates, they're divorced now. And, and, and they were, they you know, they try to masquerade as doing good. But in reality, Ruben, uh, divorced or not, these two people are very evil. Yeah. And, and here's something else that's interesting is that Bill Gates... Is a college dropout. Now, I'm not begrudging people that didn't go to college, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, the fact is, he has the point that I'm making. He has no medical degree, right? And so, you know, this is Mr. Vax. This is this is the guy that's pushing for mandatory, you know, uh, virus vaxes uh, all over all over the world. Now, he does fund the research, and, and and again, as we shared in the last segment, he's made a boatload of money on top of the boatload of money that he already has. Mm -hmm. So what do we know about Bill Gates? I did a little bit of research. He's an atheist. He's a eugenicist. He's a depopulation control secular humanist. Again, his, his father was one of the founders of Planned Parenthood with Margaret Sanger. His father was also a Mason, by the way. And uh, again, uh, this guy is, is, as I said in the last segment, he's probably one of the most powerful non-politicians ever. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in the World Health Organization, Ruben, these guys, initially, everybody knew that this virus came from Wuhan, China. Yeah. And back in, uh, I think it was like th two years ago, when we found out about this, the director general of the World Health Organization called Tedros Ghebreyesus, he said, well, you know what? We, we can't call it the Wuhan virus because... It's going to stigmatize China. Give me a break. Are you kidding me? No, it's not. We want to be truthful and accurate. Yeah. If you look at every major disease in the past, it's named either after the person who first died of it or the scientist who discovered it or the geographic location where it was first appeared, where it first appeared. But this guy, of course, you know, more, more political correctness, you know, this is PC on steroids. We can't call it the Wuhan virus because it will stigmatize people. This is, again, Ruben, this is just plain deflection. This virus 
has engulfed the world and killed thousands of people precisely because of where it came from, Wuhan, China, which is a communist regime which attacks and brutalizes its own people routinely as a matter of state policy. And many good doctors, Ruben, from uh, uh, frontline doctors and others Mm -hmm. have said that uh, this virus that originated in Wuhan, China, is a larger bioweapon strategy that they're working on. Yeah. And uh, Bill Gates, is he bought this huge uh, swath of land, uh, farming land, you know. God knows what he's going to do with it, but he does want us to start to stop eating meat, and he will want us to eat the fake meat and or, or insects, you know. And this is just um, because they say that the, the cattle, uh, the farming animals, they also they cause harm to the ecology, so... We're uh, we're looking at some some really <laughs> some really tough times. No, you're right, Ruben. You know, no, you're right. And and they just look at us, Ruben. They just look at us like experiments. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're just experimenting with the human race. Yeah. And and yeah, what you describe, Ruben, it's a nightmare scenario because the Bill Gates is buying acres, thousands and thousands of acres all over the United States of farmland. Yeah. And so the first link, if you go down below, you'll be able to click onto something about these these lawyers and experts that are um, are fighting back, and uh, they reveal evidence for world dictatorship under the guise of pandemics. It's uh, so they they're going they're presenting evidence uh, to to try to uh, get these people um, prosecuted. Know, prosecuted. A group of wow. international lawyers and top level experts and renowned scientists present the evidence before a grand jury that the COVID-19 pandemic is a criminal operation with the purpose of installing a world dictatorship. So among the expert witnesses at the World Health Organization advisors, a United Nations official, members of a British intelligence services, former officers from the U.S. and U.K. military. These are all the experts. An expert from the Center for mm. Disease Control, a former vice president from Pfizer, a Nobel Prize winner for, for medicine, and many other high-level witnesses. So they talk about psychological manipulation. The experts show how mind control, psychological manipulation, and hypnosis techniques are used to control the opinions and the behavior of public worldwide. Jesse, that's what you're talking about when you, when you said the, the masking and six feet apart. Mm-hmm. That's all part of my, the mind control, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. The uh, yeah. information is backed up with official documents issued by the governments and the named organizations. Below is one example of an official document from the British government revealing an official strategy to psychologically manipulate the public. There it is. Uh, and and um, so it, it, you got to look at this. This is amazing. Grand, uh, the, so the, the, the evidence, and we probably don't have a chance to get into all of it, but let's just do as much as we can. The evidence is presented during six grand jury legal proceedings that each last about six hours. The length of these proceedings make it hard for the majority of the public to receive this information. That's why Stop World Control is creating an easy-to-read summaries of each six-hour session so these extremely important revelations can reach a greater audience. The first summaries is now available and can be downloaded for free below. And so, you you know, you, you go into that and you'll, you'll see what they what they say. Um, this, this, so, Ruben, we got, some, we got some good guys on our side that uh, yeah. are, are fighting legally because they know what's hap- what's happening right now. Is nothing less than uh, than mass euthanasia. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is ma- mass euthanasia, and uh, there are some good people, doctors and lawyers, that are that are standing up for the masses, 
uh, because they see that what's happening right now, it's, it's very obvious. Yeah. Ruben, one of the things that the scandemic, plandemic, one of the things that it did, it, it actually served the purpose for the, the rich and famous and the elite because what happened is there's, there's a few things that they did intentionally. They, start, they destroyed a lot of small businesses and they eroded the middle class. These are the people that voted for Trump. These are the people that were conservative and patriots. They also transferred millions of dollars of wealth from the American public and into the pockets of billionaires and special interests. What they also have done, Nancy Pelosi and her husband and others, they've engaged in insider trading, buying stock in biotech companies and shorting brick-and-mortar businesses and travel companies with the aim of collapsing face-to-face -face commerce and tourism and replacing it with e-commerce uh, and, uh, you know, just having everybody do everything, uh, you know, digital. Mm -hmm. They've also, uh, you know, established, uh, well, they, they've also concealed the fact that there's been a, a, a massive depression, Ruben, and suicide brought about by this, this, this plunder of the economy, so many people losing their jobs, houses skyrocketing, people can't even rent. Uh, and so, you know, or, and a lot of properties are now devalued as well. They, they've done this on purpose. Uh, look at our streets, Ruben, in a lot of blue cities and blue states. Wow. We have more homeless, more people depressed, more people that are, that are on drugs. They've basically checked out. Uh, they, they, they can't process everything that's happened, started with the pandemic, you know, put on the mask, put on the jab, you know, six feet apart. Uh, I just came back from Hawaii, you know, a once, a, probably a once beautiful state. Uh, the, the beaches of Hawaii look just like downtown Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, remember we, when, when we were going through this pandemic of plandemic, scandemic, it was, uh, we were talking about how, you know, the, if this, if you could, if this COVID was going to wipe out the nation, it would start with the homeless because they're not six feet apart; they're all on right. top of each other. Yes, and none, of, it wasn't happening. You, it made you wonder. I mean, this is this is just this can't be right, you know. And they they weren't taking precautions, the the homeless, and uh, no, no. <laughs> it's just a joke that and people buy into this stuff and you know double, triple, quadruple vaxxed, and they're still getting sick and. And, 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 and they still, those people are still saying, well, at least, you know, it's going to be less, less severe the, the, when I get the COVID and, um, unbelievable. And, and they're getting sick more than the unvaxxed. And, uh, and, 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 you know, now they're coming out and saying, well, you know, they're some, some people have fought back some like nurses and, um, healthcare workers fought back cause they, they weren't given, uh, their religious, uh, exemptions and, and they want a big lawsuit but but you know what? None of these companies are are giving people their jobs back. You know they're still fighting firemen and policemen. Yes, because they they don't want to get vaxxed. Um, this is uh this is tyranny and uh, yeah, we got tyranny. Yeah, and playing the communism. This is plain evil. And Ruben, I'll tell you who made a boatload of money out of the scandemic pandemic is uh is all the pharmaceutical companies. Oh yeah, they made a ton of money. As a result of this, and the little mom and pop operations that really, you know, voted for for Trump and put him in office, mm -hmm. uh, they've paid a price. I know a lot of my friends that used to have small businesses, uh, 
the small businesses have been wiped out in, 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 in for a large swath of the population. Uh, again, that was done by, that was intentional. They wanted to punish the people that voted for Trump. But once again, uh, the World Health Organization, uh, you know, along with their, you know, communist Chinese backers, they went, they, they made sure that the, uh, that big pharma and big tech, uh, these guys made a boatload of money as a result of all this. And, you know, they controlled the, they controlled the doctors too. Remember all those frontline doctors that were standing up against us? They, they canceled them. They, they, they had videos on YouTube. They canceled them. They people, doctors lost their jobs because they weren't giving them, uh, they weren't going by the prescribed, uh, you know, uh, the medicine that, that, that Fauci and, and this world health organization wanted things that were killing them, rendesivir and they, things that were working, they were told to stop. You know, we have a, I, I have a friend that is a, a frontline worker, trauma care, trauma care nurse at uh, LCMC, LA County Medical Center. And, and he said we were saving people with, with, uh, and, uh, ivermectin and, uh, hydrochloroquine. And then they stopped us giving that and we were taking body bags out two or three wow. people a day from the hospital. So, Ruben, this pandemic was planned. It was planned. All right. Well, Jess, I know you got to go. I'm, but I'm rolling. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk. I'll see you later. Okay. God bless. Coming up, the Benedictine victims of Warsaw. We'll be doing a story on that. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. I'm now by myself. I'm a one-man car now, king car. Um, and so I'm going to I'm going to use this time to to talk about some uh, martyrs that that ha- it occurred on the 31st of August, so it was it would have been yesterday. But I want to start by uh, talking about a little bit about a, a, just a friend of mine that uh, yesterday was his anniversary of his death. Deputy Hagop, we called him Jake Karigian, and his uh, end of watch was uh, 831-2001. Uh, interesting story. I I, um, I didn't know him very long, but uh, the, at the time that I did know him, he we played soccer together on the, the L.A. Sheriff's soccer team. And uh, just an amazing, you know... Uh, friendly guy, uh, just um, very helpful and inspiring, and uh, just just full of life. And um, for that, so we, that summer, you know, we played together, and then uh, uh, you know, stayed in contact a little bit. And then uh, he was uh, he was murdered, and it was up up in um, Santa Clarita. And the thing is that <clears throat> the uh, ATF was was they had a, a guy in their scopes that they had gotten information that the guy was selling uh, ammunition and arms, uh, rifles and things of that nature, guns without a light. Well, they found out he didn't have a license, but uh, this guy was um, James Beck was, he would walk his dog every morning, a big German shepherd. And, and everybody thought that he was, he used to tell everybody he was in law enforcement because he was in fact, he went to the academy with me at Rio Hondo Police Academy, and uh, he wasn't hired. Um, like mo- mo- most of the guys in there were hired, but there was a good number. There was a good number of them called pre-service. They weren't, they weren't hired yet. They were trying to get a job once they graduated. And so Beck was one of those guys. He got hired by Arcadia Police Department in California, and uh, he got fired. And it turns out that he, um, he, 
he misappropriated a shotgun and um, he ended up getting convicted of it and um, I believe he did a little bit of time. So he came out and he was on parole and uh, he was also always one of those wannabe guys. And uh, so the ATF were going to serve papers on his house, serve a warrant on his house. Now, He's, he was known to have a, uh, a big collection of, of, of rifles. And, and the one thing that, that really, um, a lot of things came out of this, but they, instead of taking him down when he was walking his dog, they knew he was like religiously walked his dog every morning at seven o'clock. Instead, they, they waited for him to go back home. Now he's, he's, you know, inside his own house, his two story house. He has high ground on him and, and uh, they start hitting the door, open the door, uh, you know, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, ATF here, you know. Anyway, he they he opened fire on the front door. I guess he uh, he wounded a, a one or two guys. I, I can't remember now. But uh, I mean, they they called for help from the sheriff's department. And, uh, you know, the Santa Clarita guys rolled up there. Jake was a mortar officer and uh, he happened to roll up and. They said, oh, he's up there. He's up shooting from the top window. And uh, he was behind a truck and he peered his head around, even with his motorcycle helmet. It's not a ballistic helmet. But this guy, uh, James Beck, uh, picked him off from, you know, a, a, a good distance. And uh, and Jake was shot in the head and, and died there. And um, the SWAT team came in and they, they laid, you know, tear gas in there. Eventually it was hot gas and, and the whole... They gave him a chance to give up, but Beck didn't come out, and uh, the house went up in flames. He burned and died there, and I, or he may have even shot himself. I think that's what he did. He he shot himself, as evidence showed that. Um, but uh, you know, they found his remains and his German Shepherd remains in there. Uh, I just feel bad for the German Shepherd, being a German Shepherd lover. But this guy is, uh, you know, he was evil, and uh, so. When I was told the story, I was like, wow, I knew the victim and I knew the suspect. And uh, that's just, that's kind of rare. And, but, uh, you know, just, you know, uh, Jake, uh, rest in peace. And um, and he was a an Armenian Orthodox Catholic and uh, he had a very nice service and just prayed that he's resting in God's, God's arms now. So um, anyway, we're going to get into, well... Those of you who who in law, law enforcement that have gone through this have have, have lost friends and and family members or or even people um you know we we mourn when we lose members of the department or even other agencies that when their officers are killed it really affects us and you know a little part of us a little bit of us die each time we have to go through this and so uh many times law enforcement officers don't have a release and they they don't have the faith that uh, that help get them through these things. Unfortunately, um, I I did, and I was you know able to keep myself together. But there's some that don't. So you know, pray for them. Um, last week we had uh, we had uh, Danny Coon on, and he was talking about suicide and uh, in law enforcement and and the fire profession. So it does happen, and as a result of all that we see and all that we go through, so. Yeah, keep your first responders in prayers. Thank you very much. And um, so now I'm going to get to the story. And it's um, an interesting story. And yesterday was the, the anniversary of this. The Benedictine victims of Warsaw. They were martyrs of charity. And um, it's a story written by nuns 
of the same monastery. It was rebuilt after the war, and uh, it has until now been known almost exclusively in Poland. You know, but thanks to an anonymous monk's translation, it could now be shared with an English-speaking readership. And it concerns the Benedictines of, profesh- of perpetual adoration in Warsaw, who gave their lives explicitly for Christ and for Poland. And uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski says that he had the immense privilege of visiting the monastery and speaking to the mother prioress and one of the other sisters during his short time in Warsaw in November of 2021. And he says while, while he was there, he, he, he was shown the crypt of the church with the com- commemorative plaque of the 35 nuns. The photos are his, you know, he, he posts some uh, photos and uh, it's from... Uh, from First Peter five, if you ever go to that website, you can see a lot, a lot of Dr. Peter Kwasniewski's uh, um, articles. And so the the monastery was rebuilt, more or less the same as the old one. But um, so let's get into the story, and and it's just sit back, get a cup of coffee, and and listen to this story. It's it's amazing. Uh, I think we can take a lot away from this, and um, and how we live our lives, and and. and Total submission, total um, and total uh, surrender to Jesus. And uh, so, the day of the Warsaw Uprising. Remember, remember, this is World War II, the deadliest war that we've ever uh, had, have gone through. August first, nineteen forty-four, in the fifth year of the German occupation, was a new page in the history of the martyrdom of the Polish nation. The darkness of terror remains in the memories of all who survived. The view of a ruined capital city, rows of graves, and gaping wounds in the hearts of those who lost loved ones. Many lives were brutally ended. Outstanding individuals sacrificed their lives for Warsaw and for Poland. Our cultural heritage had fallen apart. Monuments of art as well as churches lay in ruins. Warsaw's old town as the theater of war suffered the most. The beautiful monumental church and monastery that was the home of the Benedictine nuns of perpetual adoration was not spared. In its ruins on August 31st, 1944, died 35 nuns, four priests, and about a thousand civilians. At least 17 of the nuns who were killed on that day had previously made an offering of their lives for the cause of our fatherland. Having approached the mother superior and asked her permission to remain in prayer in a place where they would face certain death. The martyrs' death of almost this entire religious community and in such circumstances deeply shocked our society and left us terror stricken. Word of the event echoed through the country. Even now, it is remembered in the press and in literature as one of the heroic moments of the combat of Warsaw's old town. We have been asked many times to reveal more details of the road to Calvary by which our Benedictine sisters went to their sacrifice. We would like to respond to those requests by offering this short account of the events of all our friends and to those who share our religious and patriotic beliefs and sentiments. And so the so then it goes on with a memories of a nun who survived the bombing. So she's actually telling us the story um, because she survived it. When, no, when news of the Warsaw Uprising reached us within the walls of the monastery's enclosure, our hearts were deeply moved. We gathered at the feet of Jesus hidden in the most blessed sacrament and asked him for help and protection in our capital city's struggle for freedom. The future of our monastery and church were also dependent on the outcome of the uprising. The mother prioress allowed refugees who had lost their homes from 
Rybaki Street and the Wola section of the city to take refuge in the cellars of the monastery and in the crypt underneath the church. The sisters took care of the people in all their needs. The Polish command of the uprising also petitioned Mother Prioress to lift the monastic enclosure, which had been observed for 250 years, and to provide shelter and care for wounded soldiers. Uh, I, I believe what she's talking about is those those uh, nuns that are um, uh, outside of you know uh, the world. They don't. Uh, they don't. Nobody uh, has access to them, and uh, they're just prayer warriors. That's all they do. Their whole life is is for is prayer, and um, so immediately a sister from our infirmary, infirmary began caring for these soldiers. The lifting of the enclosure also enabled a connection between Rybaki Street and the New Town Square. The once quiet corridors were now filled with the sound of footsteps of messengers running through the monastery's gardens to the Vistula River. This led to a furious attacks and unceasing fire by the enemies. The sisters were, with supernatural courage, bravely kept watch on our roofs and in our attics, constantly putting out fires that were ignited. The situation grew worse after part of the monastery started to be used as a military hospital. When the Germans learned that our sisters were supporting the uprising, they decided to, to destroy the church and the monastery. On August 11th, so, six so-called ward robes, incendiary bomb carriers of new construction and of unprecedented strength fell on us from the Praga section of the city. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. We're going to come back on the other side of the break. You're going to hear the rest of this story. And so uh, we'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, where iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Um, um, talking about a Benedictine, the Benedictine victims of Warsaw. Yesterday was the anniversary of their death. And uh, it's a story of of what they went through during World War II when the, the Nazi regime was, was going through Poland. And we here in the United States are very fortunate that we haven't had, um, we haven't had war in our, our homeland. I, I mean, other than the, the 9-11, uh, you know, terrorist bombings of, the, of New York uh, Towers, um, we haven't been like, like Vietnam, like Korea, like Japan, like Europe, where, where war was on our soil. And... Uh, and and we have no idea what it what it is to go through something like this. So um, I'm reading the accounts of of a nun that survived this blast, and she's just talking about how now that they're taking care of civilians in inside this um, you know their monastery, uh, the Germans found out about it and um, they started bombing the monastery. So she goes on to say the monastery garden was completely crushed. The walls shook in their foundations. The impact was so fierce that it threw the sisters to the ground, ripping their habits apart. Aware of the threat, the chief medical officer ordered the evacuation of the hospital into the cellars. There, among the graves of the deceased sisters, an operating theater was set up. The wounded arrived constantly and in ever-increasing number. The groans of the wounded, the stifling fumes 
of the disinfectants, the lack of fresh air, the arrival of new refugees, and so many people in panic and terror made the atmosphere almost unbearable. In the middle of all this, the Father Provincial of the Palatines and Father Hiranask Skewitz uh, uh, S.J. sat in a corner of the cellar until late in the night to hear confessions of all who needed spiritual help, nuns, civilians, and soldiers. Incendiary bombs were dropped on the monastery church as though hell itself had mobilized all its diabolical powers to destroy the place built for God's glory. Such furious attacks on the walls of the temple were rained he who is where reigned uh, he who is peace, light, and love could be explained only by the satanic possession of the enemy. The church's tower was at the point of collapse. The chief medical officer therefore again ordered evacuation. This was yet another form of martyrdom for the wounded and the paramedics who had to leave this haven where they had at their disposal a kitchen, a pharmacy, all sorts of equipment. M- Mother Prioress and the sisters moved to the cellars under the novitiate part of the monastery. And some sisters kept watching the attic, distinguishing fire after fire and pouring water on the church floors as pieces of the burning ceiling fell down. The copper dome with its cross pointing heavenward was burning red hot, a splendid view in the night, but frightful and threatening, glowing above the city where the selflessness of heroism fought against the horrors of evil. It may well have been a potent, a portent, a prophetic sign of the imminent martyrdom of the sisters. It was a reminder that this horrifying cataclysm was the result of the failure of the living to grasp the meaning of the cross. It also was a sign to so many embittered that desperate people showing them where to find hope and salvation, a proof that no one can triumph while being defeated. The threat of the complete and utter devastation loomed over the monastery. Nevertheless, the sisters remained calm and were deeply convinced that in God's plans, their suffering and purpose and meaning deeply convinced that in God's plans, their sufferings had purpose and meaning. Before our eyes, the one wing of the monastery, after another, pulverized by shells of the heaviest caliber, became a pile of rubble. We had to leave these walls where, for 250 years, souls had found their nourishment in prayer and learned by grace how to live for God alone. The chaplain of the monastery, carrying the most blessed sacrament, followed by Mother Prioress and the rest of the sisters in small groups, made their way under the constant gunfire to the church of St. Hyacinth. This sorrowful procession reached the church's undercroft, where the Sisters of Charity looked after us with a true sisterly love. In the church, it had not been yet destroyed. The sisters looked. The sisters spent almost every minute in adoration of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament and at the tomb of St. Andrew Babola in the crypt. And Sandro, uh, Andrew Bobola is a, is a Polish um, missionary and a, a martyr of the, of the Society of Jesus. He's known as the Apostle of Lithuania. And, uh, uh, you know, he was, upon opening his casket, his body was found to be incorrupt. And he was canonized in, eight, in 1938 by Pope Pius XI. Uh, so he's there, and it's the, the tomb of him is there in the crypt. There remained still ten nuns in the ruins of the monastery, keeping guard over the furnishing of the church. The, the novices, together with their mother mistress, did not want to leave the enclosure, but religious obedience obliged them to join the rest of the community. And then on August 22nd, Warsaw's old town, with all its monuments and buildings, was totally destroyed. Nothing remained but smoldering ruins. It was no longer safe for the sister to stay in St. Hyacinth's church, 
Remaining there became increasingly risky. It was decided that we should return to the cellars of our destroyed monastery. It was a painful return and a painful sight, but it was no time for mourning. People took refuge in the cellars with us, and we had to take care of them. We cooked for them in big kettles on improvised stoves. The number of refugees was constantly growing. We could cook only at night, lest the smoke reveal our underground haven to the spine aeroplanes and the enemy detect signs of life amidst the dead ruins. Our supplies were running out and starvation loomed. The situation grew worse in every respect. The sanitation system was destroyed. We were left without a water supply. The sisters, risking their lives, started going down to the Vistula River to fetch water. The refugees were embittered and exhausted beyond their limits. And in those horrific days, and as always, in such moments of breakdown and trauma, gave vent to all their nervousness and pain. Then the role prepared for us in God's eternal plan appeared clearly before our eyes. We saw the divine providence had gathered us all here and had formed our lives in view of the reparation, even amidst the suffering and grief. And under the constant threat of death, the sisters sustained by grace managed to keep calm and peaceful. To a great extent, we attributed this peace to the presence of four priests and the opportunity to given us to participate daily in four holy masses, fortified by Holy Communion each day. We sisters, fragile human beings, were able to forget ourselves. We united ourselves to Christ's unbloody offering in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. We meditated on, on His passion, dwelling especially on His agony in the Garden of, of Olives, and related it all to what was happening before our eyes. All of this raised our minds and hearts to the pierced heart of Jesus, there to find salvation, to obtain help, and to make reparation for the evil that was prevailing mightily all around us and spreading everywhere more and more. Looking at the passing worth of all that was destroyed and the things in which modern man took pride, we were compelled to focus everything on God, eternal and unchanging, being deeply convinced that any human action would prove ineffective from the depths of our hearts. We united ourselves to Christ with fervent prayers. We prayed the divine office every day. At times, a massive explosion would throw us to the floor and cover us with rubble and dust, but we would immediately get up and continue our prayers with loud voices that the words of the office of the words of the office and full of the faith and hope might vie for the roar of missiles, bullets, and airplanes day and night. According to our rule, we pers- we persevered in perpetual adoration of Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar at the feet of Christ, the offered one. We found strength and consolation in deep con- concern for the fate of our fatherland was calling us to total annihilation of ourselves. Our supplication now was not that the uprising would be successful, but that souls would be able to rise up, that quarreling human hearts would begin to beat in unison, and that among the wreckage and ruins, people might find a path to God and see that He alone is man's indestructible bulwark. In addition to the three monastic vows, the Benedictine nuns of perpetual adoration vow themselves to live in a state of victimhood, united to Jesus in the sacrificial offering of His death. The perpetual adoration brought them through all these events, to a complete identification with Jesus, who in the most holy sacrament of the altar remains forever spotless victim, offered to God one after another, sisters fully conscious of the significance and consequence of their act, sought the consent of the prioress to offer themselves as sacrificial victims, going before Christ, hidden in the sacred host, they offered themselves to the justice of God in a sacrifice of reparation to obtain mercy for a torment, tormented Poland. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the Germans ordered us to leave 
The ruins where only death awaited us, we contacted the Polish command and as a result elected to stay, completely convinced that our almost inevitable death was the will of God. Now in this decisive moment, what mattered was to prepare for death. Deep recollection, ceaseless prayer, and daily confession became the essential preoccupation and focus of the sisters. August 31st, 1944, fell on a Thursday for the Benedictine nuns of perpetual adoration. Thursday is a day of beautiful above all other days because each week it recalls the institution of the most holy Eucharist. Remember that Thursday, remember Jesus, uh, Holy Thursday, and instituted the Eucharist. We prayed Vespers and Compline as usual at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, untroubled by the noise of the airplane circling above us. In spite of the bombs that were falling, we began to verse, Keep us, O Lord, as the apple of thine eye. Protect us under the shadow of thy wings. Then came the wonderful prayer. Visit, we beseech thee, O Lord, this dwelling, and let thy blessing be always upon us. The words flowed from deep inside of us. Already our hearts were beating with a rhythm more of heaven than of earth. At the end, we sang the antiphon of the Blessed Virgin, Hail, Holy Queen. Then turn, then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this hour exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Could there be more, any more beautiful prayer in preparation for death? Then even the airplanes seemed to be silent for a while. With a profound interiority, the sisters put their necks, uh, put on their necks the ropes customarily worn during the adoration of the Most Holy Sacrament. By this practice, the Benedictine nuns of perpetual adoration had for 250 years signified their union with the victim Christ in reparation for sin. The sisters gathered closely about the tabernacle. There was silence, silence without so much as a whisper, silence unbroken even by a murmur of prayer. After so much terror, uproar, and shattering violence, there was naught but silence. A preparation for the eternal silence of heaven, it was a silence pregnant with anticipation. Then all of a sudden, there was a terrible crashing sound of darkness, followed by darkness. People were screaming in a single moment. The ceiling collapsed, crushing the, killing the sisters, huddled close to the most blessed sacrament. And with them, about a thousand civilians. At the same time, the cellars of the monastery collapsed, burying four priests and the rest of the sisters and civilians beneath the rubble. Dare we call the death of the sisters a real death? Death is the interruption of life. Death brings whatever was happening to a stop. But here, was this really the case? The sisters were gathered in adoration at the feet of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. Was their prayer interrupted? Not at all. They simply passed over into perpetual adoration at the feet of the same Jesus in eternity. Imagine that. These these are martyrs, ladies and gentlemen, and they go they're going straight to heaven. Martyrs of uh, the Benedictine uh, monastery, pray for us. And uh, you can go to one Peter five to, if you want to finish the rest. There's a little bit left, uh, but it's very interesting and uh, it, it just gives us something to think about. Something we should, you know, live our lives for. And visiting Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. So thank you for listening. Listening to Jesus 911. Stay tuned for Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Mashuda from the Midwest Command Center. We are 10-7. We're EOW in a watch.